I can invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading. Uh, Before I do, I missed a prayer request. Um, Jim McDowell requested prayers for Mark and Cynthia Millender, and a specific concern being the health of Mark. So, sorry I missed that. This morning's scripture comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, uh, verses 21 through 30. Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. This morning we're going to be continuing our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, as it was mentioned in the children's time. It's uh, the greatest sermon that was ever told. And over the past few Sundays, as we've looked, um, we've begun this journey through these important teachings of Jesus, this long series where he outlines for himself and for the disciples and the other followers how they are to live differently within the culture that they are placed and within the culture that they are part of. And so these words are as applicable for the earliest disciples as they are for us today because Jesus gives them for us and to us in the same way he gives them to the disciples. We began with the Beatitudes and saw how they are almost marks of a Christian for us and how they are a progression for us of recognizing how one initially is sinful and then moves through their life into a deeper faith with God. And as marks of a Christian, what they do is they show us how to live in response to the grace of God. They help us to see how we are to repent of our sin and then seek to live in closer relationship with Him. After the Beatitudes, Jesus moves on to how Christians are are to be known. By practicing and living out the marks of the Christian faith. And so He said, in His words, we are to be both salt and light. Salt in the way we help uh, prevent decay or halt decay. And then salt in the way we provide flavor. Light in the way that we illumine or reflect the light of Jesus as it's poured into us and taken out into the world. Last Sunday we saw how Jesus told his followers that uh, he was sent not to do away with the Old Testament, not to abolish the Old Testament and the prophets, but how he was sent to fulfill those words. And so for him, what he was saying to them is, yes, I'm here. Yes, I'm teaching you how to be in deeper relationship with God and and with me. And that means continuing to read the Old Testament. 
And so for us, this means immersing ourselves and knowing the Old Testament story, but also immersing ourselves and knowing the story of Jesus as we read about it in the very beginning of Genesis and as it is concluded in the book of Revelation. That's the only way we can know. That's the only way we can fully understand the fullness of the gift that God has given us through the sending of His Son and through the resurrection that you and I have received. Because we can't understand what Jesus has done and the depth of what God has done if we don't understand that it is a part of God's plan as we read about in both the Old and New Testament. All right, so today we're kind of uh, shifting gears and beginning to look at, at different areas that Jesus lifted up in his Sermon on the Mount. This next section contains um, section, uh, principles and commands. Where Jesus bases these principles and these commands that he talks about on the Old Testament law. So this isn't Jesus just coming up and making uh, new teachings and new ideas on his own. This is Jesus looking at the Old Testament law because we know that he said, I'm not coming to abolish it. And he's expanding on it. And he's expanding on what he intends for his followers to do and be. He is expanding on how he wants us to see that there's greater depth in just reading those words and what God would have for us. And so in each of these commands, Jesus takes the Old Testament snippet where he says, Thou shalt not, or you have heard that you shall not. And then he expands on that, on how he supports it, and on how his expectation of what followers of him are to do differently in following the commands. So first, I think it's important for us to note that these are his words. And so he doesn't attempt to alter the command or do away with any of them. He expands on them, and as he does so, his expectation is that followers of him will experience a change in their hearts that leads to them going further than just following these commands. So what he's doing is he's looking at the way the scribes and the Pharisees are teaching them, and then he's saying, if you're a follower of me, you start with where the scribes and the Pharisees are teaching with, with the basic command. And let me tell you how to go further. Because if you'll remember with me last week in our scripture, our scripture reading for the week ended with Jesus saying, you will not reach the kingdom of heaven unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and of the Pharisees. So you get know what I'm saying? So what Jesus is saying is where they're teaching and what they're saying you're to do is the starting point of what it means to be a follower of me and what it means to live in deeper relationship with me and of what it means to, to choose to pursue and to follow the life of holiness that I'm, I'm offering. The scribe's words are the starting point. Right, so before I begin with, with this morning's scripture and, and today's um, portion, I want to be honest that uh, some of these next sections of the Sermon on the Mount are some of the harder ones that Jesus chose to talk about. And so the temptation for us might be to do like Marcion, if you'll see a picture of the Bible next year that, that we looked at last week. Remember how I mentioned that, that Marcion in the second century had gone and, and kind of cut and pasted the Bible according to his liking? There's a temptation there. Because some of these scriptures are some of the harder ones that you and I wrestle with that Jesus gives because they're ones that deal with us. They deal with people that we love. They deal with relations and relationships and situations that we might know about. And so there's a risk. 
there's a risk for us to just skip over it and go on and to pick and choose what we look at. But if we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, we have to look at all of it. I know if we skipped over it, it would certainly make my job easier and, uh, because they're just harder ones. And so we're going to read them with prayer. We're going to read them with grace. We're going to read them with humility because these are the words of Jesus himself. With that being said, this morning we're looking at uh, Jesus' instructions to the disciples and to the crowd on how they're supposed to deal with murder and on how they're to deal with adultery. If you go and reread the Ten Commandments, you'll see that thou shalt not murder is the fifth commandment of God that was handed down to Israel. See, Jesus starts with the Old Testament and he says, it is said, you shall not murder. And then he goes into his teaching. And so like for all of them, this is Jesus going beyond the character of the law or the literal letter of the law as he's looking and he's teaching according to how he expects his followers to have a change of heart through reading the law. And so he instructs the people of Israel and you'll notice that he says you're correct in being true to the commandment in the way that the scribes and the Pharisees are teaching. See, I think there's a tendency of us in the church, especially the Christian church, to to look at what the Pharisees say and to look at what the scribes are saying, and there's a tendency for us to discard it because we always see these men, they're all men, being at odds with Jesus. I mean, think about some of the, like there's the children's song, right? Lord, I don't want to be a sheep, and then I don't want to be a Pharisee, and I don't want to be a Sadducee, because they're all Sadducee, right? Do you guys remember that song? Farrell, you know it? I'm just kidding. Um, But you get what I'm saying is is there's this presentation or there's this assumption in the New Testament as we read the Gospels that it's always setting Jesus against the scribes and the Pharisees. And I think what we're going to see as we go through these portions of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus isn't necessarily against them all the way. He again, he's against their interpretation or the way that they're working to find loopholes to help people to, to live faithfully without really living faithfully. He's against them teaching or finding rules that allow for people to break the commandment easily because they do it in a certain way or do it, you know, or, or, um, or offer it, you know, in a, in a way that, that is permissible that they've determined. That's how he's against it. It's when he's telling them, let me tell you, the scribes and the Pharisees say this, but let me tell you what the heart of this law is. So he's going further, isn't he? I mean, the scribes and the Pharisees were saying that the fifth commandment required them not to commit the physical act of murder. I think all of us can agree that murder is not a good thing. It's a physical act. And so what Jesus is saying, and read his words, he's saying, I want you to think about this beyond it just being a physical act. He goes beyond telling the crowds not to kill, and he tells them that you have to go even further by not carrying a grudge in your hearts either. These words are extreme, and and as we read them, and I'm sure that first group that was listening to them, as they heard Jesus say them, went, wait a minute, what do you mean? 
because he wants them, he wants us to rethink how we are living. He wants us to rethink how are we are responding. He wants to rethink and, and frame where we are in terms of, of being and living in the kingdom of God. He wants us to know that it's different. And it's different because fulfilling and following the commands of God are not just a thing where others see our outward appearance, but they're things where others see our inward appearance as well. Because the way that we choose to live it out, the way that we choose to to follow this command of God reflects what you and I have going on in here and not necessarily, don't doesn't always reflect what you and I have going on on the outside. And so he goes even further. And he gives them this example where he says that Consider your inward condition and your attitude toward others before you offer to give your gifts to God in worship. And so what does he say? He says, if you approach the altar and you realize that there is something that is unreconciled between you and your brother, leave your, your gift at the altar, go and, and, and pursue reconciliation, and then come back and offer your gift. See, he wants us to see how the condition of our inward heart and our relationship with others affects how we worship God. He wants us to know that if we have something that is prioritizing our time and our energy and our mental function and focus and everything else, well, then that's going to get between us and it's going to get between God when we bring ourselves to him. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, it says, God loves a cheerful giver. All right, so often we hear that term used when it comes to giving, right? When on a consecration Sunday or a day that we're doing pledges in the church or, or talking about giving to the church. And it's true, we can use it to that. But what if we could also view this scripture and think about it in terms of what Jesus is talking about today? Where he's saying, think about the way that you approach the altar of God as you offer your gifts. And then Paul is saying what God wants us to do is be a person of cheer, which means we don't have these things holding us between us, that are there between us and others. We don't have these things getting between us and God because God wants us to bring our gifts in worship, whether it's our prayers, our presence, our praises, our tithe to God with joy in our hearts. God loves a cheerful giver because it reflects who we are. It reflects our inward condition and it reflects how we're choosing and how we're pursuing a life in relationship with Him. Forgiven, reconciled, and in relationship. Jesus is saying that's how we can follow God and we can truly worship God. We cannot kill But we also have to have that inward change in our heart to where we're not even having ill thoughts or will or anything else towards other people. And then he goes from that light teaching to uh, the teaching in the sixth command, where he goes further and talks about um, how we shouldn't commit adultery. So again, the scribes and the Pharisees, this is Jesus not saying, hey, they're telling you not to commit adultery. It's okay. This is Jesus saying, they're telling you correctly to honor the marital vow and to honor the covenant of marriage. And he goes further then, but says, but it's a condition of your inward heart, isn't it? Not just your outward actions for you to look at adultery in terms of what happens in your mind. 
in terms of guarding yourself, in terms of guarding your heart, in terms of guarding everything that happens. As I was reading about this, Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is more deceitful than anything else. It's incurable, and who can stand it? Job also has a part of a teaching where he talks about not even looking at others because he knows that, that if he looks at others, there might be a temptation in his mind. And so he has chosen, as he interacts with his friends who come to talk to him, as he's experiencing all of these things, as he has the boils on his skin and his sons and daughters are killed and he loses all his property and, and they're talking about all these things and, and his friends are saying, well, how did you sin? How have you sinned? You must have sinned. Something has happened to cause you to sin that you don't even know about because that's why God's done this to you and Job goes and he says I don't even look at other people because I know the temptation that's there whether I'm thinking about it or not what Jesus is saying is that we can sin by our thought and we can sin by who we are which is what we have to recognize at Christians isn't it is that all of us start before God as sinners because of Adam, because of Eve, because of uh, generations of people living in, in relationship with God and then choosing to turn from God and then choosing to return to God. I mean, read the Old Testament. That's full of that. But he goes farther and he says, you shall not commit adultery. Adultery is not just the physical act, but it's the act of your heart as well. And so he continues by saying, if your eye causes you to sin, you're to throw it out. There's kind of a funny comic that someone's doing that. He goes a step further than the Pharisees and the scribes by saying, I'll tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, so it'd be anyone lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Again, think about those who heard this the first time. Who are thinking, I'm living righteously. I'm honoring my marriage covenant. I'm not doing what I'm not supposed to be doing. I, I'm being faithful. And then Jesus says to them, um, how about you look at your heart and not just your actions in this? Friends, see what he's doing is he's taking us where we don't anticipate. But he's also taking us to where God has been all along. Because when he brings looking, lust, everything into the teaching and prohibition on adultering, he's reminding us how closely and how quickly we can fall into sin. It doesn't just take action. It can, require, it can become something that seems so much more innocent. But here's the thing. If we're open to looking, and we, just, we have to guard ourselves. We have to guard our minds. We have to guard our hearts. We have to guard what we're doing. We have to guard what we're thinking about. And we have to create a, a, a wall of protection around ourselves that's based on God to where if you're married, you're honoring the marriage covenant and to where we're living faithfully. Because what he's doing in Matthew 5.29 is he's drawing the, the interconnected relationship between your eyes and your heart and your actions. And he's saying in all of those things, if you're not careful, it can lead to sin. We have to protect ourselves. Right, so I learned a little-known fact as I was reading about this scripture this last week. And Last week, um, I mentioned Origen of Alexandria. He was a, a theologian and a church father in the earliest church. and um, 
You know, and we read Origen, in seminary we read Origen, and, and others refer to Origen in terms of his theology and defending the Christian faith, but Origen thought that, that he would literally interpret this passage of Scripture. And so to rid himself of lustful thoughts, he first rolled around naked on briars. When that failed, he gave up food, possessions, sleep, and he made himself a eunuch. He later renounced making himself a eunuch, saying he may have gone too far. But friends, this is an extreme example of what Jesus is really telling us to do to guard our hearts and to guard our minds. To not do the looking that leads to dreaming, to not dream or fantasize, to not open the door that leads for possible action. He tells us that we have to be connected, and the only way for us to protect ourselves from sin is to be connected to him. If we're not regulating ourselves, we set ourselves up for disaster. Only you can do that for you. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. We have to know what temptations we face and what is before us. And only I can be accountable to God. And only you can be accountable for God. Because there's no one-sized approach except being faithful to Jesus. And Jesus is clear. What he's saying is he's saying that it's better for us to, to, to guard ourselves against sin, to, to view the, the gift of eternity that we've been given and the life that he's offered us through the resurrection to weigh that far heavier than anything else that we receive in this earth. Eternity is way more important than anything you or I can do or say today. And here's what he's saying is we have to decide each and every day whether it's worth it. Whether it's worth living in the world or whether it's worth living for the next. Because when we're living for the next, we're making choices that change our hearts. We're making choices that root us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're making choices where we humbly submit to His guidance and to His grace. We have to decide to follow Jesus. Amen.